This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Right across the state, we need more teachers. It's been called the teacher crisis in the media and it's having some of its biggest impact on some of the smallest schools. My name's Nick Healy. I'm filling in for Rochelle today and coming to you from Shepparton in the Goulburn Valley. And recently, you might have heard a bit about Minyip Primary School in the west of the state. Now, this is a school with just 38 students that may well have to close down if new students can't be found, new teachers can't be found, sorry, potentially sending those students far afield to new schools. So today I want to focus on those regional and rural schools and rather than look at all the negatives, let's find out what needs to change to get teachers into those areas, why those schools matter to their communities and why they can be such an amazing place to work, why it's such a rewarding role to take on. So are there schools in your town struggling? What do you, what do you think would actually make a difference? Are you a teacher who's worked in a regional or rural school? What was your experience? Or just tell me what your local school means to your community. What difference does it make having a school, having those teachers close by? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. And look, just very quickly, to my own personal experience, I went to primary school in Deniliquin, so just over the border in New South Wales. It wasn't exactly a tiny school. There was about 100 students all up, but my family moved when I was in primary school, and I found myself at a school in the coastal city of Wollongong, and I... I have to confess, I felt a bit lost in the mix. It was so much bigger. Classes were comparatively quite huge to what I was used to. And I really did miss that connection to the teachers and the educators. And that's not going to be the case for everyone, but certainly in my experience, those smaller schools have had a lot of positives to offer. Now, Adam Boyd is a former principal himself. He's the founder and CEO of the Real Schools Group. Adam, just really quickly, it it does feel like there's been this discussion around teacher shortages for so long now. I mean, broadly, are we seeing real action? Are we just going around in circles when it comes to the issue? What are you seeing from your role? Yeah, um, morning, Nick, and I think you're, you're right. I think there is mostly a kind of going around in circles a little bit and avoiding some of the, the big opportunities, which are which are both local. So we need to particularly at those regional areas because that's that's where the pinch is being felt at the moment in terms of the, the teacher shortage crisis, but also you know, globally. This is a, this is actually a problem in a number of different countries, but the solutions are going to be country by country, and one of them is that we need to have a community that advocates for its teachers to be paid better so we need a we need a community that says actually we really value these people so highly because what they do because what they do in schools like the ones that you've just mentioned and they having teachers available makes those schools able to function and they underpin the whole kind of social and economic good in that town and um, we, we need to all care enough about education in our country to advocate for that how did we get here how did we stop caring about education yeah, I think um, there's probably a, a, a heart and a head answer to that. Nick. Ah. I think from a from a from a, a head perspective, we've allowed you know an industry that, particularly when we think about primary schools, is quite feminised. We've got a real big imbalance in terms of males and females. What we know is that if you feminise an industry, the pay doesn't go up. 
commensurate with other with other jobs. So education's felt the the brunt of that, and as a result, we've got young people these days going, ah, you know what? I don't think that's the the option that I'm going to take. There are better options out there for me. Um, from a, a hard perspective, I think we've made we've made teaching too hard for people. Um, we've given teachers too much administration to worry about. We've dragged them from the kind of deep moral purpose they've got for working with young people by making them accountable for hitting targets within two decimal points of something in reading that really doesn't have anything to do with helping a kid love reading a book. Um, And as a result, I think we've got a lot of teachers who are getting to their car at the end of the day and thinking, this isn't what I got into teaching for. Um, And we need to do something about that. We're losing too many good ones. It's interesting because that, that topic of the admin, the changing role of teachers comes up again and again. And obviously on some element, teaching had to keep up with the changes in technology, which have been significant mm. even in the time I went to primary school. And, you know, sort of the last 30, 40 years, it's been a huge change. But it feels more profound than that. It feels like we have culturally, in some level, devalued the work teachers do. Yeah, I think we have. And as a result of trying to making them wear too many hats, you know, they're not only teachers these days, but they're, they're counsellors, they're substitute surrogate parents a lot of the time, you know, they're nurses, they're, they're, they're um, psychologists. Mm. And as a result, we've stopped actually thinking about what it is that we want our teachers to be amazing at. Um, what we want them to be really great at is how do we get our kids a really fantastic education? How do we get them to learn how to multiply fractions when they'd rather be on an Xbox? Now, <laughs> <laughs> um, because that's a really specialised skill, I'm telling you now, Nick. <laughs> um, if you're going to put it that way, I'll be on the Xbox rather than doing the fractions. Yeah, Thank right. you very much. I mean, yeah, they're the options. And I think the other reason that parents, you know, gets right back to why parents can send their kids to school is they want, they're hoping the school and the teachers will work with them to turn their kid into a decent citizen, um, to learn those social skills. And I think we've, we've been dragged apart, parents and teachers around, uniting around those two really important areas. As a result of our teachers sort of being responsible for too many things, no one looks at the teacher and says, actually, you know a lot more about teaching and learning and growing decent young people than anyone else. We should be so grateful that our kids get to spend six or seven hours every day in your company incredible you know um that's that's where we need to slowly work our way back to strategically adam you mentioned of course that regional schools have been bitten the hardest by these teacher shortages was there a period where regional rural remote schools had a better cachet for teachers or it is has it always been hard to encourage people to get there Look, it hasn't always been hard, but it has you know, dipped in and out. I feel a little bit, Nick, like I'm about to start a story with Once Upon a Time. But there was a time when, when you graduated from university um, in Victoria, and the last state that actually stopped doing this was Queensland about 20 years ago, where it was mandatory that you went and spent some time in the bush. You went and taught. You went and taught remotely or in a regional area for a while. My first year of teaching was on a remote Aboriginal community in the Northern Territory, and um, and I think that it was a, a wonderful grounding. It was clearly in a time when it was harder to to get a job as a teacher. Um, there were you know more graduates coming out than there were positions available, and that's not the situation now. So our schools are absolutely desperate for teachers at the moment, and some of them, like we mentioned, are the little schools are the ones like you mentioned at the start. They're Nick that are in actual actually facing an existential threat. Um, Mm. But then our bigger schools, our bigger regional schools are also really feeling the pinch. Some of them are 12, 15 teachers short of being able to run a full program for kids. And um, that's, that's something that none of us should be okay with.
We shouldn't be because also isn't that then uh, the classic vicious circle? Those teachers are overworked, the ones who are still there, trying to catch up, trying to make all of that education happen. They're going to get burnt out. It's going to be harder and harder to get people in. It just feels very difficult to sort of say this will get better at some point. Yep. The second that we're, the, 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 well, I guess the, we, by refusing to intervene in some way and say we're going to start to turn this around, what happens is that the kids who are going to, say, a large regional government school um, tend to be the kids who need the most help and have the least advantage at home. The parents who look at this school and say, well, they're, they're, they're 15 teachers short, they can't run these programs, they might opt to take them off and send them to an independent or private school. Now, that family then is going to need to earn more money, so a parent might have to pick up a second job uh, to be able to do it. They spend less time with their kids at home as a result. We just keep passing these markers that are no good for anybody. You know, when we when we don't invest in having really fabulous regional government schools, and we end up with some situations where you know, for instance, in in Shepparton, we've got Greater Shepparton College that's been mm. gone through a really challenging time as they've established as a new school as a result of three schools experiencing a forced merger, you know, which really didn't have the ambition. And I want to be really clear, the people at, at Greater Shepherd, and they are working their guts out and they mm-hmm. are doing incredible work um, to, to make that school a viable option for those kids. But this is, this is three communities that have been kind of forced together, not with the intention of giving these kids the greatest education in the world, but because there's an economic rationale to it. So we want to stop putting ourselves in a position where we can't look after individual government schools who who need the help and can provide that sense of belonging that you talked about right at the start, Nick. The economics of it is interesting. We've had a text on that saying, look, these days education is an industry, not a discipline. This text is saying it feels wrong. What do you, what do you take away from that, Adam? Yeah, I think they're, they're, they're right. And this is where we, we can sometimes, oh, I mentioned right at the start, we can... Yes, yes, there's a global issue around the teacher shortage, but there's there's an acute angle to it in Australia, and that is that we have a far higher proportion of kids in highly funded private and independent schools Mm. than we do in almost any other country. We are an outlier, and that doesn't mean that those independent and private schools are saving the country money. Um, Our percentage of GDP spent on education and schools is pretty comparable to countries that have, for instance, you know, 2 and 3% of kids in private schools. So if the the truth is from an economic perspective, it doesn't cost your country more to invest in great free education through your government system than um, than by funding schools that you know, funding's not being sent to schools where kids don't need the help. Um, so there's a really strong economic case for investing in our government schools. So it's not just it's not a matter of charity. Um, and indeed, what a lot of these countries find is that if you make that economic investment, it actually underpins economic prosperity. Uh, particularly in regional communities, when kids get a decent education, they commit, they contribute far more positively to that local community. Adam, just before I let you go, you mentioned, of course, your own teaching work in remote areas. What did mm. you take away from that? I mean, what were the positives of being there? What do you think it did for you as a teacher? Well, I, I actually look back on it, Nick. I reckon it grew me more as a person than as a teacher. You know, I, huh. I hadn't moved out. I hadn't moved out of home. You know, when I finished my university degree, I was able to walk down to university in Frankston, <laughs> Victoria, and, and in a lot of ways, it was part of my motivation for doing my course there. <laughs> yeah, but then when I got to you know an Aboriginal community, it, it opened my eyes to what my country is and and what are the issues that are, that are being faced in my country and it opened my eyes to just how important education can be in places like that um and i think that that 
the experience of people in places like that needs to be part of a, a national conversation. And when I look back on it just personally now, and this is thirty, almost 30 years ago now, Nick, I look back on it and I think that's probably in terms of making me a, a you know, semi-well-rounded human being, <laughs> um, I, I think that year shaped me more than any other year. And I, I wish that other graduate teachers, even though they can go and get a job at a, a more comfortable school closer to home, I, I wish they had that opportunity to, to, to learn and grow as a, as a person early in their career. Adam, thanks so much for your time this morning. I really appreciate it. Adam Voigt, former principal, founder and CEO of Real Schools. Rob on the text line saying getting rid of department placement of teachers in favour of individual school recruitment was a big mistake. Uh, calling in, we've got Trish from Deer Park. Trish, good morning. Good morning, Nick. How are you? I'm good. You were a teacher, not anymore? Well, I've... I've I am a qualified teacher and I couldn't agree with what Adam said more wholeheartedly. Um, he talked about uh, the heart and the, and the mind. Um, I went. I always wanted to be a teacher and I went back as a mature age teacher, as a single mum. I graduated. I did really well. I loved it. But what turned me away from teaching was the lack of respect um, mm. for the general community the, the, not that I'm saying that the remuneration it, it, it is a ma- like I didn't go in there because I was thinking about the money but when I did my placement and I realised that it wasn't teaching anymore it was admin and that you didn't teach to the individuals you had to teach to the boxes I just thought if I'm going to be an administrator I'll get a job as an administrator I want to be a teacher I wasn't allowed to teach I had to tick boxes yeah. and I, another thing that I found, find, and I had this discussion with my university when I was invited back to offer um, advice, um, it's changed. I think once upon a time, teachers were selected for courses to go into teaching by an interview process. I don't think that happens anymore. I think that's really important. There's a lot of people that um, go into teaching because it's the only degree they can get into and within one or two years they go, not too hard, I'm out of here. I didn't go, I, I, I didn't put myself through that trauma because I had had life experiences that I thought I wanted to teach because I love teaching and I then opted to go into disability where I still was able to use my teaching expertise but not for children but with adults. And I find that the whole system needs to be looked at from grassroots all the way up and teachers need to be respected and that's reflected through remuneration and less administration. Yeah, Trish, I really appreciate you getting in touch. Trish and Deer Park, I can hear your frustration of of seeing so many issues with a a profession that you went into because you wanted to to make a difference that I knew you could love. Remuneration is a fascinating one. Yeah, I don't think anyone would say that teachers don't need to be paid more, but this is certainly not a problem that can just have money thrown at it. You know, there will still be burnout no matter how much you pay someone in any job if that job isn't fit to be done. Also calling in Jane in Northcote. Jane, good morning to you. Oh, uh, hi. Oh, hold on. No, I've got you, Jane. I can hear you if you, you can me? hear me. Yeah, yeah, I've got hi, you loud and clear. Oh, good. Um, no, I was just calling to say I used to be a teacher as well. I left about six years ago. And the reason I left was administration primarily, but also the difference is 
face-to-face teaching. Teachers are now required to do so many hours face-to-face that we they didn't have 30 years ago when they had loads of teachers. And that's, so a lot of people get into teaching because they think it's going to suit with my family, especially women, but even men, that idea that you have time with your kids on the school holidays, all these things factor into why you might go into teaching and also for the love of teaching and and I know for me that the face-to-face, you can't teach as well, you don't have enough time to prepare and you are working a lot and you're not getting remunerated for it and I know when I was the union rep at our school, mm. our teachers were crying out for more pay, we were crying out for more time, that's what we wanted, we wanted more time. So and better support staff? Would that make a difference? No, not even better. Well, if you had administration support staff so you didn't have to fill out a million forms to take your kids on an excursion, which yeah. is why people don't take kids on excursions because it's a lot of work to prepare. You don't have anyone doing that for you. You know, you'd be lucky if you got someone to do your photocopying for you and that was only for the teachers who are nice to the office staff. You know, like, that was a big ask. You don't have any help in that regard. And that was not my forte. I wasn't any good at that, so it would take me even longer than someone who's probably a lot more tech-savvy than I was. But honestly, like, I remember talking to my vice-principal and him saying, 30 years ago, you know, we were doing 18 hours face-to-face. Now they do, I can't even remember, 26? I can't remember what it is, but it's a lot. And you go into any other job, you've got so much more quiet time to actually prepare what you need to do. It's just people don't realise how full-on teaching is. You walk in at 8.30 in the morning, 8 o'clock, but you hit the ground running at 9 o'clock till the kids leave. You know, yeah, and, and you're there for that whole day. You're there with them the entire time. That huge amount of face-to-face work, all the behind-the-scenes work. Jane, thank you. And it's a refrain I'm hearing on the text line a lot that teaching has changed. It is incredibly hard. The amount of work that goes into the admin side of it. Uh, speaking to um, Adam Voigt just a little bit earlier, uh, t- text her coming in D saying she's next state school teacher who's burnt out now. Give Adam a huge round of applause. State education is for everyone and it deserves a lot better. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. My name is Nick Healy, filling in for Rochelle today and coming to you from Shepparton in the Goulburn Valley. What is some, what are, I should say, some of the major barriers when it comes to getting teachers into those regional areas? Mark McClay is the CEO of the Country Education Partnership. They're a not-for-profit group. They work with rural and remote communities right across Victoria. Mark, good morning to you. Good morning, Nick. You get a teacher, they are dead keen to work in a regional area. It's not always smooth sailing straight after that, is it? No, it's not. Um, and I, th- I think the really important voice to hear, um, we've had a program that's had um, pre-service teachers getting into rural areas, um, doing their placements there, and, and their voices are crucial. And um, what they're telling us is is things like the school culture, what's what's in the area outside of school hours. Um, but just to go on Trisha's point from Deer Park earlier, that mm. opportunity for them to explore their passion, um, to be themselves, to actually teach because that's what they got into it for as you said earlier nick about making a difference um and i think rural schools still offer that opportunity with the smaller class sizes and 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 classes but i think really trish hit a a key point there how much of an impact is all of that admin work making is that contributing to the burnout that we're being talked we're being told about so often 
Absolutely. Uh, the figures on teachers who are leaving in their first five years, um, there's certainly a significant amount that would attribute just to that the admin. There's a little bit around the confrontation they get from from, from tricky encounters, but um, majority of it's just all that additional administration work that they don't necessarily see that's connecting to student outcomes and actually, like I said before, that, that pleasure or that joy of, of teaching. Um, and that, that real intrinsic value you get as a human being, that's why you got into the game. You, you see something on the news that morning that's amazing and you want to share it with the kids you want to learn, here's an opportunity to be curious. And I think sometimes the administrative and the, and the tight planning that we seem to do now takes away that opportunity. And, and if you haven't got that intrinsic value um, in a role, then that's why after five years you go, you know what, I need to find something that fulfils me as a human being. Mark, I found it really interesting you were talking about what happens outside of school. Do you, are you saying that maybe there's some cultural issues of people feeling community included? Is that what you're hearing? Probably more. Uh, there's, there's certainly that. And schools have um, done an amazing job, um, you know, culturally at being very inclusive. But, but no, we've had students who are going to areas specifically because of what the area offers. So ah, right. The young pre-service teachers are heading up to Myrtleford Beechworth because they love the outdoors. They love hiking. So they're actually basing their employment opportunity around um, what's. Oh, Mark, have we lost you? Uh, sorry, you're dropping in and out, Mark. Uh, yeah. You still there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's a different scenario than than 20 years ago. It is different. It's great to hear that you know people are actually seeing these as big bonuses, saying like, "Oh, my lifestyle out in a remote or regional rural area is going to be wildly different." Uh, one thing that's come up a lot in the conversations I've had with people, Mark, is of course that once you're out in these areas, housing can be hugely problematic. Is that something you're hearing back from the people you work with? Glad you said that, Nick. It is our, it's completely our number one issue at the moment is right. teacher housing and housing for essential workers. Um, it is a really significant issue and there are teachers who are accepting jobs and then can't take them because they can't find somewhere to live. Can't find, can't afford, is it a mix of both? Both. So you've hit a key point. Your tourist towns of, of Bright Lawn, Apollo mm. Bay huge issue there of affordability but in some areas it's simply that literally isn't anywhere to rent it goes in interesting ways too i've had conversations with the mayor of port ferry saying that their schools are having huge amounts of trouble attracting students because families can't afford to move in there anymore or find um find uh, actual affordable accommodation so it seems like it's across the board what do we do though outside of just addressing this as we're addressing the normal housing crisis is there something more specific to teaching and education that we could be looking at i think there's opportunities to um look at that whole of government approach around essential workers i, I don't know if there's an opportunity to learn a model similar to the defense housing model where government could lease um you know one or three year leases lease properties back off huh. um you know, I think these things are certainly worth exploring, but that whole government approach with health, police, education all together, which I know South Australia do, I'm not sure it's a perfect model, but um, it's better than what we've got. We've, we've got just over 200 teacher houses across the whole state of Victoria, um, which isn't enough. No, that's 
not a lot at all when we're talking about how many positions we still have to fill. Mark, just to make sure I've understood, from what you've been saying, the teachers you talk to, the graduates in particular, they are seeing a genuine benefit to getting out of metro areas and working at these smaller schools. Like, there is a genuine taste for it. I've just spent the morning with three uh, students straight out of Brunswick Fitzroy who spent three weeks at Swiss Creek and absolutely loved the experience and everything the town had to offer and never would have thought in a million years they would have ever um, enjoyed their experience so much and can see themselves living and working in a rural setting. So the rural placement system works. Mark McClay, you've made me very happy with that, and thank you very much. Mark's the CEO of the Country Education Partnership. On the phone, we've got Barb from Millerwall. Barb, good morning. Good morning. What did you want to say this morning? Um, I taught for 20 years, and they were all remote and regional positions. I can't speak highly enough for how a school in a regional town is a hub for so many other things than just the schooling. The kids get so much more personalised support from the whole town. The governessing was interesting because I actually lived with the families and that was out in the big station country. So, look, it was all plus, plus, plus. All but plus, plus, plus. Yeah, what I worry about now is the curriculum has got so wide as to what teachers are expected to cover, but so narrow, leaving time for the three R's. So you think it's got a lot more complex and maybe missed the whole point of education? I agree. Again, the parents and the families should be responsible for a lot of what the teachers are expected to do and leave the teachers time to do the reading, writing and arithmetic. Bob, I thought it was interesting at the start talking to Adam that he, he said sometimes uh, as a community we've devalued teaching. With your yep. roles working in those smaller schools, did you feel valued by the community? Did you feel respected? I did, and I had families calling out to me from one side of the main street to the other, and these were just towns of 8,000 people, you know. Loved it. Absolutely loved every day of my 20 years. Barb, thank you so much. You could be an ad for why people should be getting out and teaching in these regional communities. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. I'm Nick Healy filling in for Rochelle today. We're talking teaching and we're talking about the impact of the teaching shortage on smaller schools in regional and rural areas. Uh, Ross and Taralgan texting in saying it's not just teaching that's changed. Kids have changed. I think there's a lack of respect for others. The lack of discipline makes teaching a lot more difficult. Ross, thanks for getting in touch. And Danielle in the Dandong Rangers saying thank you for focusing on teaching. I've taught for 10 years in secondary and primary. I want to say how much I love teaching. I started in a small country town. I highly recommend the Teach for Australia program for that very reason. But I agree with the difficulty of keeping afloat as a teacher with the workload. One thing I'd love to see change is community and parent support and engagement with their child's education, not just academics, but supporting their child to try new things and celebrating their progression at school. Thank you so much for everyone who's texting in. In just a moment, you're actually going to hear from a teacher who works in a regional school, a principal, in fact, about the changes that they made to turn their school around and encourage teachers to come and, more importantly, to stay. Uh, before that, Andrew Dang Dalgleish is the president of the Victorian Principals Association. Andrew, good morning to you. Good morning. 
we hear a lot about what uh, a school adds to a community, especially a smaller community. Many teachers saying uh, on the calls and on text lines saying that when they worked in smaller communities, they feel incredibly valued. What do you hear from people in your association, the principals who are working in those smaller schools? Look, again, very much uh, in line with what, what uh, the teachers who are calling in or texting in are saying. They they love working as part of a hub within the community. It's that connection to the broader community, um, to sporting clubs, to, to other activities that, that helps ground them. But again, we see that there are still challenges in attracting young people or young teachers to move out into some of our regional areas because it does take them away quite often from their family connections. Yeah, and that is a big ask at a certain age. You know, when we're talking graduates, when you've just got yourself out of actual, uh, you know, education yourself, it's hard to then pack up your life and move somewhere you might be unfamiliar with. Look, absolutely. And, and you know, we've, we've seen experiences before where, where communities will wrap around young professionals that may come into, into their areas and, and try and facilitate connections for them, whether it be coming together, you know, once a fortnight or once a month for a dinner just to meet and, and get to know each other. Then that may not just be teachers. It may be those in the medical profession or allied health. Mm. Uh, it may be police. It may be ambulance and so on because it's a about attracting but then keeping people within our communities as well. Andrew, I might just stay on the line for a second. Jess from Nangona has called in. Uh, Jess, your kids go to a rural school. What's been your experience as a parent? Uh, I actually, I love it. I feel really privileged that my child's able to go to a small school. He's got such a close relationship with the teachers. Um, and so do the parents. You know, uh, the, the teachers, are, we all know all of the teachers and the teachers know all of us. Um, the kids want to stay at school after <laughs> school finishes and play on the playground with each other while all the parents catch up um, in uh, around the playground. And it's just really special. Uh, it's, it's, I love it. Is that something you got to experience when you were at school? Yeah, my kid actually goes to the same school that I went to when I was a child. Um, and I had I, I loved my experience there as well. We only had 12 students when I was there. It was during the, the Kennet eras when a lot of schools closed down and we fought very hard to keep our school open and were successful at that. Um, my dad also went to the same school. <laughs> I think that, that um, generational student is rarer and rarer these days as yeah. people move around so much. And as you pointed out, schools close as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. But yeah, no, I, we love it. I, I would. I, I feel incredibly privileged to be able to have my kid go there and, and be part of that community. And oh, and that community building. What they were, what you guys were talking about earlier is is so um, it's so apt. So I'm a member of the CFA as well, and we we use the school grounds as community gathering grounds, and we have land care meetings up there. And it really is a community hub. There's no shops in our town. We're, we're too small for for shops um so it really is the only community gathering point um within the township and it become that hub jess thank you so much for calling in and andrew back to you it's sort of a few people have mentioned that in smaller communities that school really does develop as a hub and you know that is a wonderful thing to see but i would just i guess it comes also with its own set of pressures for people like principals working there and trying to maintain that school Look, it, it certainly does, and, and Jess was absolutely spot on. And, and as she was uh, she was speaking, I was reflecting on my own 
pathway into school. I too went to a small school in, in regional Victoria, you know, 18 children in the total school, same school that my father went to. So <laughs> I might be a little bit biased around just how great these opportunities are. But but you're right, that, that challenge for principals and or teachers to move out into some of those areas, again, I mentioned earlier, it's almost a, a dislocation from their families. So how do we then as, as mm. society or in those communities become a substitute family for them and, and work with them to welcome, whether it's the CFA or the local sporting club or or just groups of, of people that have got similar interests and help them want to stay there? Because that, that is proactive work. I mean, we talked before about what it means in terms of getting accommodation. We know that's really difficult. That is its own sort of issue that needs to be addressed very, very separately, I think. But one of the great things about rural communities is, is how included you can feel. But you've got to find yourself there to begin with. It could be hard to break in if you don't have that sort of history of family or living there. Uh, if you don't know the names, if you're not already part of the sporting groups and the clubs, there's got to be a real proactive attempt from these communities to bring people in? Look, very much so, very much so. And, you know, in some cases, you know, as Jess said, and I've said the same, you know, our families have been there for generations. So there's a lot of history and connection. For someone new coming into a community, sometimes they may be looked at as, a, as an outsider. But again, proactive, we know that sporting clubs and CFA and organisations will welcome in new people because it means that their organisations will continue to grow. Um, you know, we want to keep attracting people out to our regional areas. And, and again, being able to share, being able to ensure housing availability is all part of, of the solution. Andrew, really appreciate your time this morning. Andrew Dalgleish is the president of the Victorian Principals Association. Um, on the text line, hi, says James, I was teaching for 39 years. I resigned last month due to added pressures placed upon us over the past five years. More admin, more curriculum additions, more data collection, not enough funding for students with additional needs, and I felt like I had no time for planning. The list goes on and on. James saying, I loved my job. I found it so rewarding, but enough is enough. On ABC Radio, Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. My name is Nick Healy, filling in for Rochelle today. Now, Horsham, Sec Horsham Secondary School is not a small one by any standards, but it has been held up as a great example of what a big difference a regional school can make. Now, nearly 10 years ago, the school faced dwindling enrolments and a high staff turnover, and then Principal Rob Pyers arrived and turned it around. And Rob, good morning. How are you? Yeah, good morning, Nick. How are you? Where did you start back in 2014 when you got to the school? What, what was facing you? Um, I was facing some uh, pretty significant challenges and I was uh, fairly fortunate at the time because I actually didn't get the job initially. I missed out. And um, <laughs> I was uh, third prize in the beauty contest and uh, there was a couple of others asked to step into the acting role before me. Um, but what the acting role did was allow me a great opportunity to see the lay of the land, um, see the opportunities that I saw in the school, um, see the opportunities that I saw in the students and staff and the community, and um, then was really fortunate to get the substantive role and uh, be uh, part of what's been a, just a fantastic journey over the last 10 years. Rob, in terms of staff turnover, that is one of the things we talk about when we look at the teacher crisis, that high churn, teachers finding it very hard to feel settled. What difference did you make that's been able to retain those great teachers? 
Oh, look, for a start, Nick, I think it's one of the things I've had an incredible leadership team with me over the journey. Um, so working with the team that I've got um, at Horsham College has always been about building a sense of real purpose and a real culture within the school. Um, our, our motto is about seizing opportunities and what it is focused on is actually seeing that every student that we've got at Horsham College has the right to be able to get a great education and an education which is actually really fixated on what their needs and wants are to be successful. Um, the college's history was it was a tech and it was a high that was brought together. And one of the things that we've really done is we've acknowledged our community and what our community needs are, and we're focused heavily in terms of the, both the, the academic pathways but also the vocational pathways that regional Victoria, um, and I say Australia itself mm. needs. And that has really helped us find a, a really strong connection with our community. Um, the other thing that we've really focused on is the uh, probably overused word uh, team and what it means to be part of a team and what it means to be part of a school. Um, we're focused very heavily on developing a culture that's about the team and about the family that we are and how we support each other. Um, and try not to focus on the problems, focus on the opportunities. Um, it's very easy to look at problems, but we're very focused on where the opportunities lie in a school context to be able to support staff to be the best teachers they can be. Um, and it's a challenging role and challenging time. Mm. Um, but to also be able to remember what our core is, and that's to be great teachers for students and allow students to be able to excel in whatever their field might be of interest. Yeah, Robert, sounds like what you've done particularly is make sure that the school is right for your community. You haven't sort of said, well, you know, it's one size fits all, here's what a school does. You've looked at what Horsham needed and, and built something that's more suited to that community. Yeah, look, I think we've been... <clears throat> one of our key focuses with recruitment of staff um, has been actually recruiting people from around the Wimmera who um, are great exemplars of understanding what it takes to get a good education and understanding the importance of education mm. and who are wanting to bring it back. I'm a, a really proud graduate of uh, Warwick-Nabil Primary and Warwick-Nabil Secondary College and um, you know, I would have a huge number of staff who come from the Wimmera itself or regional Victoria and they actually understand what it means and how to live in a, in a country community. Um, and understand, you know, the the pluses and the minuses of that. You know, it, it, the community aspect is so fantastic. You know, the connections that we have with the, the clubs, the netball yeah. clubs, the, uh, you know, tennis clubs, etc. It's pretty hard to keep an eye on all the sporting events that people are part of. But <laughs> on, the week, on the weekend, I saw two of my staff just in a fantastic local production of American Idiot, the Horsham Arts Council provided, along with... Uh, two current students and um, a number of former students and you just go to yourself, that's the, the benefit. But it's also sometimes not that easy to necessarily find some of those connections, those things that you know, larger central uh, places can have. So we've, we've worked hard to accommodate that as well. Um, our recruiting is very much about when we talk to people coming to us, it's about we're not just recruiting them, we're recruiting their families and that's m making sure mums and dads know that their kids are leaving home potentially for the first time to come to us. We're going to look after them. They're going to be part of our family. We encourage the families to come and visit as well. It's good for the economy. It's huh. good for the school and community. We work really hard with the real estate agents in our town to make sure we've got 
um, some good supply of rentals. That's got different challenges at different stages, but we've worked really hard with that. Um, and we're very much about trying to make sure it's a, a full 360 experience. You're trying to really ensure that they're great teachers and get the support in the school with the mentoring, the coaching, the support. Um, but you're also trying to make sure that they understand they've got to have a balance in their work and what happens. Um, and we've done a fair bit in terms of um, some opportunities within the department. The department's offered a number of different initiatives in terms of supporting part-time, et cetera, and we've certainly worked on that to be able to help a number of our students who live in Melbourne to be able to have a Friday or a Monday to be able to go back and see family and stay connected in that context as well. Rob, it's fascinating the stuff you've been working on and um, I really appreciate you know you as a working principal on a school day taking the time to have a conversation with me. Rob Pyers is principal of Horsham College, a school that's been very lauded for the work it's done, turning around some of that staff churn. Uh, Bruce on the text line saying, I-, I love talking about small schools. I went to a state school that had one teacher and 11 students across all primary grades. We were actually arranged in rows and the older students would help teach the younger ones really appreciate you getting in touch a lot of conversation about how we make sure people who are graduating or working as teachers understand the benefits of going to regional and rural areas now meredith peace is the victorian branch president of the australian education union Uh, meredith we're hearing a lot of talk today about how great it is to be able to work in these regional schools uh, the difference you can make not only to the students but the community at large are we good at getting that message out or is it only when people arrive that they discover it can be like that yeah well we've clearly you know got a significant problem uh, because you know our regional and rural schools are struggling to attract the staff that they need um you know i'd, I'd you know as someone who started their career in a, a regional school um I, I would say you know you, you not only get opportunities to make a real difference but um, it was a great experience for me and for many of my um, peers who went to those country schools around the state. Um, so it's not a one-way street here about what you can give to that school community mm. and the broader community, but you, you know, as part of that community, you can also get a lot out of it as an individual as well. Uh, and I certainly found it a, a fantastic experience. I think we need to find ways to expose our our graduate teachers or our student teachers while they're still studying to uh, see what working in the country is like. And, you know, we've called, for example, for paid placements for student teachers so that when they go out on those placements, they have to do. Uh, It is very difficult if you've got um, part-time work and you're trying to support yourself to kind of pack up, find somewhere to stay and actually live in a country area for three or four weeks while you do that placement and you're not earning any income. And so consequently, it's much more difficult for those student teachers to go into our regions and they miss that opportunity to see what it might be like. And for some of them, it might be really positive and might make them think about going back. So I think we've got to find ways to expose our student teachers to those experiences and show them what a fabulous experience it can be how supportive our communities can be uh, and what you can get out of it as well as contributing to the kids and the school community in those regions. Meredith, I know paid placement would be a big shift. It sounds like remuneration, not a silver bullet, but certainly an incredibly important part of making sure that teachers want to be in those areas and want to stay in those areas. 
you know, I, th I think there are a number of incentives the government and department have put on the table to try and attract people, and some of that has had some success. So I think, you know, there needs to be further work done in that space about how do we make sure that all of our schools across the state, metro or country, but in particular country where they're having particular difficulties, uh, to say that we have an obligation as a Department of Education and as a government that every child must have a qualified teacher in front of their classroom. It, it, we have schools right now who don't have the permanent staff they need and as a consequence our children are missing out and it's creating consequent uh, workload problems for both our school leaders and our teachers and ES in those schools who are covering up and papering over the gaps to give the best educational experience for their kids, but at great cost. Uh, and that, of course, just serves to exacerbate the shortage problem because people get burnt out and actually leave. And Meredith, is the department on the right track with those incentives and changes? We've seen um, a range of initiatives. I think we've we've supported what they have done so far, uh, but I think the simple response from us is it is not enough, mm. uh, and we really we really need. And I think I've heard this from some of your uh, callers this morning that we really need to rethink how some of this is is being done. We have we have local selection. Uh, in this state. Schools get to choose their own staff. They're employed by the Department of Education, but they choose and uh, graduates have to apply for a job. Oh, I think we're past the time now because of the problems we've got where we can just continue to accept that schools try and get the staff they need, but if they can't get them well, they make do. They try and get casual teachers or the existing staff are covering up the holes to, to their detriment. Um, that's not good enough for our kids. Government must make sure that every child in this state has an opportunity for that high-quality education. They shouldn't be missing out because their school can't get the staff. And I think government needs to be more proactive. There needs to be greater investment and a bit of a rethink about how we make sure all schools are staffed appropriately. And, look, the other thing I'd add, which a number of your callers have raised, is that this is not just about those issues it's also you know we've got a massive workload problem in the state and that's mm. certainly the message our members send back about why people are leaving it's not just about the volume of work it's about the intensity and the complexity of that work in trying to fill a whole lot of different roles dealing with mental health supporting kids with disability um, learning difficulties challenging behaviors kids who need to be extended in their learning you know we're we're a jack of all trades, if you like, and that's putting a lot of pressure. Um, but certainly what I heard Rob Pyers talking about, you know, it is also about the community working really hard um, to make sure that they get the staff. And those Yeah, staff that community element of it is massive. Meredith, I'm so sorry, we are going to have to leave it there. Meredith Peace is the Victorian branch president of the Australian Education Union. Some incredible insights on the union side of that. And look, this morning, you, you've heard so much from teachers, from experts, from, from the union just then. Students and their families are a major part of this story. Gail McCarty is the CEO of Parents Victoria, the body that represents parents of students in Victorian government schools. And Gail, I imagine you've been nodding along to a lot of this conversation and what we're hearing about making sure that uh, teachers know there's a community to go to. 
Thanks, Nick, and thanks to the other speakers and, and the people that have been messaging and ringing in because this is just a wonderful conversation. It should be recorded and sent to the new minister to give him insights about, I mean, this is what it is all about and how we communicate how these wonderful ideas and solutions rather, as you say, focus on the problems. I mean, it's just so uplifting for people like myself. I have an array of things I wanted to say. I know time is short, but I think the first kickoff winding back to where Adam started was about the schooling resource standard. It has to be at 100% for public schools right across the nation, and it's not. It's average at 87.3% um, the average, right? So unless we fully fund our public schools, then um, we're going to continue to see those lower school completion rates, the higher unemployment, the lower incomes, the, you know, health, the poor health outcomes, et cetera, et cetera. But enough of that of the negative. The positive is that if there's strong inve investment mm. um, into these spaces and all those suggestions, things that Rob spoke about and some of the other suggestions that were being said, like Mark, you know, looking at defence housing, all those sort of type of things, how to lift up these communities, give them the infrastructure to attract the people. But I think that what I wanted to hone in is there's so many positive and benefits of our rural and smaller schools and, and regional areas that there's smaller class sizes, those hitches are not so thinly spread. You get to build stronger relationships that go beyond the 10 months of your class teacher. Teachers get to see students outside of school in the local community, like Rob's example of the theatre um, uh, example in the local town, and develop a deeper understanding of their personal strengths and areas for growth over a broader range of interactions, and the strong sense of community and belonging is key, as Andrew and others shared. But children are also less likely to slip through the cracks in a smaller country school as they're able to receive more of the teacher's time. And that's what we were hearing the teachers ringing in, saying they're just so stretched. Um, the year 11 and 12 senior students, get they really appreciate the level access they have when their classes are smaller. There's advantages and there's disadvantages, but we often focus on the disadvantages too much. But we know from the year 11, 12 students, they really appreciate that time with their with those teachers in those years. Um, and easier for teachers to collaborate and share knowledge with each other um, to improve student outcomes. So uh, there is just so much I could say here, Nick, um, because also, you know, just the fact that in some of these communities, they have so much more loads of outdoor and back playground space, not so crowded classrooms, all that sort of stuff. But back to you, because I could <laughs> can go on and on. <laughs> Gail, you've had some incredible insights. I really appreciate your time this morning. Gail McCarty is the Chief Executive Officer of Parents Victoria. And look, more and more texts coming through. I thought this one was interesting from David, saying I was a secondary school principal for 17 years. I worked across city and country. I found like there was a lot of disrespect for teachers. There was some heavy-handed bureaucratic interference and also, says David, some entitled parenting which made the job feel almost impossible. A few people have come in to text and say they loved the opportunity to work in regional and remote areas. They thought they could make a genuine difference in those schools and with the teacher, with the students, but they just found they got tied up in so much of the bureaucracy and the difficulty. And what we do need to change is the whole way we value teachers. I think that's been coming through over and over again, not administrators, 
educators. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Too many texts for me to get through. I know that when it comes to teaching, when it comes to education, it's an incredibly important topic and I love to see that we are taking it so seriously and wanting to make a difference. 